Oh, kia ora koutou whanau. Welcome back to another edition of the Department of Conversation. Today's episode is brought to you by our Patreon. If you're listening to this, you enjoy the content we've delivered to you for the past 18 plus months, then maybe you'd consider joining us as a partner. Head to patreon.com forward slash the D-O-C-N-Z. Uh, all one word, the D-O-C-N-Z, and have a look at what we're asking. Now, we're aware that people are struggling at the moment, that money is tight, and that um, we are wanting to first and foremost provide you good content, that's it. But if you're someone who has enjoyed what we've done, who perhaps thinks what we're doing is worth supporting, who wants to help us produce what we're doing and give us the ability to continue to produce what we're doing, then maybe you'll consider supporting us via Patreon and via becoming a financial supporter. Head to patreon.com forward slash the D-O-C-N-Z and uh, have a look, have a read and have a, have a consider. That's about all. Um, well, speaking of uh, supporting and speaking of financial, uh, the world of sport at the moment is in a bit of an upheaval and uh, we are all looking at how to do sport again once we come out of this COVID-19 uh, world crisis, how we enjoy sport, how we watch sport how we consume sport. There's only one man to talk to about all of this. His name is Scotty Stevenson. He is an author and a journalist. He has worked for Sky Sports, so he has an inside knowledge in that area. He is now working for streaming service, Spark Sport, along with TVNZ. And we got uh, a, a lovely chance to spend just under an hour with Scotty Stevenson. And here he is. And we are live with Scotty Stevenson. Good morning, sir. Good morning. Hey, thanks for joining us. I appreciate you. I think you're our first podcast. We've gone from having this kind of unwritten rule of doing podcasts in person only to podcasts on the internet. Now, you are officially the first podcast via your phone, which is kind of cool, actually. Well, there you go. And that's the world we're living in right now, isn't it? Just me in a small glowing rectangle and you with this uh, well-lit studio environment that you've created for yourself down there, Pat. It is, it's quite the scene that I'm looking at right now. Welcome to my bedroom. And I have to tell I have to tell people the neon lights were not a fixture before I started doing this. People are concerned no, well, that, I just, that I had the love yeah, shit going on. It's not that. It's working for you. I love it. Um, I had a, a chance to chat with Mark Hunt the other day, and I'm setting up a podcast with him, speaking of sports, um, and he picked up his phone as well and was going to do it on the phone, but he was walking to the beach with his kids, and I was just like, oh, maybe we'll just make it at least two you're sitting down and we can – communicate rather than the middle of the podcast being oi get out of the water or whatever it might be so yeah you know so yeah, well, the last last time i interviewed mark hunt uh, i had to buy him lunch it was quite an expensive outing for me because yeah. uh, the man can put away some food for sure <laughs> hey now you're a, a, a multi-talented uh i was gonna say media guy i don't know what i don't know i don't use labels i don't know what words you use someone who works in the media because uh, you're a journalist writing for um spin-off you're still in the spin-off at the moment uh, yeah, I haven't, um, I haven't produced much for the spin-off in recent weeks, obviously. Um, the spin-off's been uh, pretty full-on in terms of the depth and breadth of, of coverage around COVID-19. I yeah. think uh, some of my uh, colleagues there have done extraordinary work. Toby Morris, the cartoonist, Toby Manhire edits the site, and uh, Susie Wiles, who's been a, a long-time contributor from a health point of view to the spin-off. Uh, they, they've been sensational in how they've communicated the big issues around uh, the coronavirus and around the COVID-19 issue that we're all dealing with at the moment. So, um, yeah, the spinoff has certainly been, I think, ground zero for some quite amazing coverage uh, around our current situation. But, um, yeah, look, I, I love the spinoff, what it does. And, um, you know, I've had the chance over the last four or five years to work with some extraordinary people there. Um, and, and sport, in a way, Pat, as you can imagine, is, 
has taken a back seat, certainly from the live sport point of view. But what, what I find intriguing in times like this is the business of sport. Right. And I, I don't actually think we cover the business of sport very well uh, in New Zealand. And I, I think this is an opportunity to take a real deep dive into some of the administrative issues that surround sport in this country in particular. Uh, certainly the world of sport is hurting. The model is hurting. The broadcast model is hurting. And so uh, we, we've got an opportunity to see where our administrators take sport in the coming months. And um, it, it could be a long recovery like it will be for a lot of business. Yeah, interesting as well that, I mean, you were involved with it going from um, uh, Sky Sport uh, to Spark and TVNZ, that combination for the Rugby World Cup. And literally just at that time that we seem to be moving away from I guess what we would call in this day and age a traditional model. Perhaps the traditional model model was free-to-air TV and the new traditional model model was pay TV and now going to streaming. Literally, as we seem to be going through that transition, this happens and we're like, crap, what's the next model going to be? Because people... Yeah, are people going to go back to paying for their content? Uh, are people got money? Do people have money to do that? You know, what about all these companies here just today that NZ me and you know both you and I have worked there when they were in Cook Street. Um, uh, Two hundred redundancies today. Staff taking a twelve percent pay cut. Executive taking a twenty percent pay cut. Um, and a lot of those, um, I just read an article on stuff. A lot of those uh, redundancies redundancies seem to be in lifestyle, entertainment, and sport. Um, so what what's this world going to look like when we come out of this? And I was saying to my old man, my old man's the ex-president um, of the Auckland Rugby Referees Association, so he's a rugby boy through and through, all the way through. And I was on the phone to him the other day. He's about to turn 80 and living in a retirement complex in Auckland. I said, dude, isn't it just unfathomable to think, as we sit here right now, on the face of this blue marble we live on, there is no sport going on. Like there is, there is none. When I say sport, I mean, obviously there might be darts going on in people's homes or stuff, but I mean, organized amateur right through to professional sport. There is nothing being played at all. And that is just the weirdest thought. Yeah. I think apart from the Belarusian Premier League football, which uh, didn't take a pause at all, but um, Belarus is uh, another, another story for another day. Uh, <laughs> well, I mean, there's a few, three things to discuss in, in, in your, uh, in your statement there, Pat, and one of which is, yes, the pay TV model is, is under stress, and we know that the growth of streaming services has been happening for some time, so that, that's nothing new. Uh, I know that in the States, streaming services have now overtaken pay TV in terms of the percentage saturation in the market, percentage use in the market. Um, when I made the decision to move uh, to Spark Sport, you know, there, look, there is some future proofing around that decision but also it was right. a great opportunity for me with rugby world cup and and uh, you know i wanted to go and challenge the status quo and i think you know with with spark sport we've been able to do that um pay tv though has has had a long history in sports uh coverage and in sport production and look you know most of those organizations had some pretty deep pockets are they under um, serious threat of survival now I think some will be. Yeah. And, and the fact is that the, these models um, are what are being disrupted. And the model traditionally for pay TV has been uh, pay $100 a month. Mm -hmm. and here's a whole bundle of stuff. Yep. Uh, most people only wanted a small fraction of that stuff, but that wasn't the model. The model was a subscription model. And the more content you have, 
the better your offering appeared to be. Mm -hmm. So people were quite prepared to pay that $100 a month, even if they just wanted to, for instance, watch the rugby. Uh, when you have crises like this, which is as much an economic crisis as it is a health crisis, you'll find that, that those things become luxury items pretty quickly. Yeah. And so we know that the subscription model has been under threat, not just uh, as COVID-19 has come to the fore, but for some months before that as well. And so what's going to happen there are sports are going to be looking at ways to deliver their content in, in different formats. Some sports have already been well ahead of the curve. NBA TV, uh, mm -hmm. NFL Red Zone have already gone direct to consumer. And going direct to consumer is always the best way if you can keep your costs under control. What tended to happen for a lot of sports is they just can't afford the production cost of sports, so they haven't been able to go to direct to market. But New Zealand Rugby's decision to uh, re-sign with Sky TV as their broadcaster and to take a stake in that business, I think was a clear indication for any of us who've been around sports television for some time that, that New Zealand rugby wanted to look at ways to have a vehicle to go direct to consumer. That's what long-term they want to do. Long-term, they want to be the rights holder and the broadcaster. And sure. I, I think the chairman of New Zealand rugby, Brent Impey, has made that very clear. Other sports too will, will look to make uh, strides in that direction. But again, the, the cost of producing sport uh, limits the number of people who can get into that marketplace. But it is a fundamentally a freelance business. So right now, with no live sport, you have this incredible market of freelance craftspeople, really, uh, in New Zealand who, who are not working. Camera people, technical people, mm -hmm. audio people, uh, replay directors, et cetera, et cetera. Everyone who fills that truck. And, you know, from experience, they, they will all come back online because you require those skills when you want to be producing sport for broadcast quality content. So... Uh, you know, we're, we're in, a, in a really interesting time for sport in terms of the broadcast delivery of the sport, but we're also in a very interesting time in terms of the broadcast production of sport. And those two things don't have to be entirely divergent, but there will certainly be moves in the coming months and years, I think, from sports bodies to look at ways they can get their product to market directly. But in the meantime, the streaming model is certainly, I think, going to overtake pay TV because with streaming, obviously you have a better chance of paying for exactly what you want and for none of what you don't want. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder, um, I heard uh, in New Zealand talking about, um, and I, I'm, I may have a number wrong here, but it might've been a couple of hundred pilots going. And I thought about back in the day, the Skyhawks being mothballed and we lost all our, mm. um, our um, fighter jet pilots to different uh, air forces around the world. And then when there was an idea of bringing back some kind of, uh, you know, Air Force, there was no pilots left in the country. And I thought about that with Air New Zealand. I was like, will all these guys and girls go off to other parts of the world, other um, airlines? And my, my three-step question, I guess, is, is there a risk of that happening with some of these uh, freelancers floating around at the moment? They'll go elsewhere. They won't, there won't be the ability to bring back the same quality that there once was. Will it have to be completely reviewed? Because they've gone, man, I, I can't. I can't, I can't live off nothing. I need to find something. So either find alternatives or potentially, you know, be poached by another, another industry, another country, another TV channel somewhere else in the world. And I'm reminded of that. Um, I, you'll probably remember it. I don't. The name of the um, miniseries about um, when Kerry Packer started the one day series, uh, like in the seventies. And one of the running gags in the series was 
you know, we've got two cameras now. And then the next time they met, oh, we've got four cameras on this um, on this ground now. And the next time they met, oh, no, we've gone to six cameras. And then, you know, and they're building, every time they met, they added in more cameras, more cameras, more cameras. And that comes back to potentially what you're saying, the cost of putting on uh, an event. You know, will <laughs> is the future of sport um, a smaller nut, you know, a less expensive stripped-down version, fewer cameras, and, I don't know, maybe more autom- automated if you can. Like, I normally have a producer, right, that, that I w- work mm-hmm. with in this. Um, obviously when I was at ZB I did it all by myself so I thought let's just do this all by ourselves so not that that's a big cost for us because we're, we're kind of doing this together as a team but at the moment I'm just operating everything myself I wonder if the future of sport as is with my broadcasting is a either more auto- automated or um, less one person one job more multitasking to have fewer people and fewer um, uh, fewer expenses fewer outgoings I don't know yeah, look, one of the things about the sport is, I mean, there is AI in play and we know, for instance, that the NBA has been trying AI in terms of uh, producing highlight packages and, and fairly instant highlight packages as well. And, and we know from the research that they've conducted that, that their AI program can cut a highlights package almost to the level uh, of a human operator at the moment. Wow. So we've got that AI function that's always hovering in the background of all of our industries, haven't we, if you're in that technical space because you're thinking, can a computer learn to do the job of a human being? There is a lot of dynamism in sport. There's a lot of gut feel as well. If, if you've ever um, been inside a broadcast truck, mm-hmm. um, and for those who haven't, uh, I'd love for you all to see what goes on behind the scenes because, I mean, these are incredibly skilled people directors, vision switches, audio mixes, the, the replay team, sitting there, for instance, uh, watching a, an All Blacks test match or, or a big game of, of Super Rugby, or cricket for that matter, uh, you know, to watch these people work is, is intuitive. Uh, it is based on experience. There is a whole body of intellectual knowledge of the game, uh, systemic knowledge of the technology. And so all of those things come to play. Um, are these... Is our market going to suffer some loss of people? I think so. Um, I think that's obvious. And as you mentioned before, you know, 200 jobs have been lost at NZME. We've had an entire mm. magazine publisher of some of our most uh, esteemed titles go under uh, in the last couple of weeks. Uh, journalism is always under threat as an industry, uh, and the broadcast uh, production market is under threat as well. You know, like the job losses in Fox Sport in Australia have been quite savage. They've cut their news teams, they've cut their rugby department. Obviously, they've lost the rights to rugby going forward mm-hmm. um, you know so the slashes have been really savage and, and they've been going on for some time but what's tended to happen is that as we've added more cameras and, and it's an interesting point you made with the Kerry Packer documentary uh, there's 30 odd cameras on an All Blacks test match for instance you wow. know, and only two of those in my experience are, are automated cameras and those are the cameras in the changing rooms uh, the rest are drone shots um, very um, super slow-mo camera operators which mm-hmm. is a, an incredibly skilled camera to sit on and we've got some of the best in the world we're very fortunate in new zealand with our freelance production community uh, who i've had the pleasure of working alongside over a number of years now uh, these people are sought after around the world and, and when sport turns the tap back on and it will turn the tap back on uh, you will see kiwis manning cameras or uh, mixing desks in sports events all around the world you know i, I think about um the Olympic Games and Winter Olympic Games, I mean, the place is infested with New Zealanders, you know, and all of um, Olympic broadcasting services uh, levels, there are Kiwis involved. And, and the reason they're involved is because they're highly skilled and they're highly trained. And they have, uh, some of them have been in the business for, you know, upwards of 30, 40 years. And so 
you know, those people I think will still be sought after, but ultimately it's about riding out the storm. And when you're a freelancer and, and, you know, I like them, I'm a contractor and have been for a number of years, uh, you, you live in a, in a kind of state of anxiety because you can't control everything about your industry, but what you can control is what skills you do have, uh, how much you want to hone those skills, and then look for the opportunities to use them. Yeah. Uh, I think it's one of the bigger issues is around the fact that, you know, we've had one company predominantly over the last 25 years that has produced most of our live sport. Um, so there hasn't been a lot of other opportunities for our freelance sports production community to work. That's changed and that will continue to change with uh, the growth of NEP in New Zealand, uh, a direct competitor to Sky's OSB, obviously with uh, Spark Sport now taking on the cricket rights uh, and, and finding the ways to produce that coverage to a level that New Zealanders are accustomed to and to advance that as well. So. Yeah, you know, no one. I don't. I don't think anyone's looking to pair things back, Pat. I think that's a step backwards. I think what people right. are looking for is how technology can enhance what is already a great customer or viewer experience. So that's going to be the future of sport. That's still going to require some really highly skilled people, but it's also going to require some investment in new technologies. And those technologies around cameras, around automated cameras, they already exist, and they will continue to get better and more advanced. Seems as well. I mean, you you write for the spin-off, but there's other groups out there. There's newsroom. There's um, you know independent uh, blogs and uh, media companies setting up doing podcasting. And the, the guys who are starting things on the smell of the oily rag, um, and and maybe on a on a corporate level, the new streaming companies are the equivalent of the oily rag when you need a million dollar budget. I don't know. You know, like I think about the budget at, at, at the big media companies where, uh, you know, things like, and I've talked to other um, uh, podcasts about this, about, you know, hosts being purchased Bentleys as a part of their uh, package for what they do sort of thing. Um, I wonder if when we come out of this, the, those that have been on the uh, smell of an oily rag. Now, I'm, I'm not suggesting that Spark Sport is a smell of an oily rag, but probably compared to Sky Sport, their costs are uh, perhaps less or perhaps smarter or perhaps, you know, done in a newer way. Other ones that will come out of this in a more healthy uh, place to be able to then springboard and get back to what they do best? Uh, yes. I mean, I think that assessment's quite accurate, mate. Um, look, and, and the one thing I would say about you know any startup in, in this market as well, what, what you come up against quite often is people who say, well, I don't want to pay for this. I don't want to pay for that. Um, the unfortunate thing about that, and, and being a writer and being someone who's worked in those creative fields as well and, and written books, I really balk at the fact that people say oh, I don't, I shouldn't have to pay for this. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, even my time with Sky TV, we we often had uh, piracy issues. People who would VPN content from around the world because they didn't want to pay the money for a Sky subscription. And that's jobs. That's people's content. It's people's IP. It's people's creativity. And and, I, and it really frustrates me um, when people say oh, I shouldn't have to pay for this. Um, you know, journalism in particular faces this challenge daily. I, I read these comments constantly uh, that someone won't read an article because it's behind a paywall. Well, the, the paywall's there because someone's gone out there and worked assiduously and diligently and asked questions and investigated a story as to report on it in the public interest. There is a cost involved. Someone's salary is involved. The time is involved. The resources that are involved. And we have these people who complain about paying $2 a week for full coverage to a newspaper, you know, and I just find that ridiculous. To me, it's like walking into a bakery, opening the pie warmer, pulling out a pie <laughs> and walking out without paying because, I, hey, I shouldn't have to pay for this pie. 
because you've got lots of pies. Uh, that's rubbish. Yes, there are lots of places you can buy a pie, but none of the pies are free. So if you want to get your news or Facebook or you want your friends to tell you what they've learned from Googling something, that's fine. But if you want quality access to good journalism, there is a cost involved. And, you know, I've watched friends lose their jobs over the last couple of weeks, and and that's not all related to COVID-19. Can I just say that's related to the growing pressures on journalism around the world as we've seen advertising revenues decimated by big multinationals as we've seen people balk at paying a subscription for quality news you know the news costs money to make and and it's like everything whether it be pay tv whether it be a streaming service for sport whether it be uh, you know someone going out there and investigating an issue that's really important to new zealand there is a cost involved in that yes the consumer has to decide what they want to pay for these things and how much they want to pay for but ultimately, if you want it, you pay for it. And uh, anything else to me, I find very hard to fathom because I think it's an insult to the people who go out there and produce content, create content and report on big issues that people suggest that should be free and that we should not have to pay. Uh, that is just not how the world works. And if you want good stuff, it costs some money. So by yeah. all means, decide whether you want that subscription to a pay TV service, whether you want to stream that sport whether you want to read that paper but don't come at me and say it should be free because no it should not yeah i think um it's not that we were done a disservice in the 60s 70s and 80s but i think the way media was handled in the 60s 70s and 80s um has raised a generation and and i'm i'm one of them you know born in the 70s who had an expectation perhaps of getting things for free you know the the main place you got your news from typically was either well, when I lived in Auckland there was the Auckland Star the free paper on a, a every afternoon that would turn up to your to your letterbox uh, the one news at night time when there was only two channels or three channels and so they had massive ability to um, make money on advertising and revenue and then of course free to wear rugby whereas if you just take a step before that and of course radio radio always being kind of free as in not paying for it just paying for it through advertising. Uh, if you take a step before that, if you wanted to go and watch the rugby, you'd have to buy a ticket at the door. You know, so the way yeah, you saw right. the All Blacks page is you bought a ticket to walk through the gate. So I never really right. understood when Sky TV came in what the big uproar was because, you know, for generations, if you wanted to see sport, you paid for a ticket at the gate. What's the difference now? We're paying for a ticket at the gate. It's just a virtual gate. And I get, I guess that is now heightened even more because there are many, many virtual gates. And as the uh, media landscape um, diversifies and becomes larger and there becomes more options, I I guess the re-education needs to come along that says, you know what, not only is there one sports game on in this city for you to pay for a ticket for, but there's 20. And you have the opportunity to now pick the best of those games you want to go and see, articles you want to read, whatever it is, and and go and get a ticket and pay for it. And... um, yeah, I, I obviously we didn't know this 80s and 90s that this was going to happen and that this model was coming and we were kind of shooting ourselves in the foot. But I, I think the re-education is the thing to put out there that people need to understand that, as you say, you know, that live feed from Sky Sport being played on that uh, VPN somewhere in America, there's 30 cameramen being paid to, to do that. It's not it's not a free product. Yeah. It's a, it's, there's a cost but, but to that, it. That's, but, but again, that, that, the point you make is, is really crucial, and I think that's the distinction. And, and what the streaming service delivery is pretty simple. It's saying pay for what you want to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, in a sense, there's still an element of traditional about some streaming services. If you, if you look at it, it's still bundling content together and saying pay me a monthly subscription. 
But I, I think where live sport will eventually get to, and, and it might take some time, but it will get to a pay-per-view kind of model, something the boxing has done very well for a long period of time. Yeah. Because what's happened is, and, and it's right, if, if you could pay for just the events you wanted to watch, then I don't think people would have half the complaints. But what's happened for the last 25 years is they've had to pay for all the stuff they don't want to watch. And, and I think that's where people get confused. The rise of streaming services doesn't necessarily add cost. What tends to happen in any economic situation like this is that traditional markets have to come and meet the new price point. And, and we are seeing that. We're seeing growth in Sky streaming because people would rather their streaming service, which costs a fraction of the price of their traditional service. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're seeing it in the growth of Spark where people are looking at the value there, which uh, currently is free um, as we get through this crisis as a country. But heretofore was $20 a month. Now $20 a month this is $100 a month um, just for sport. Uh, that, that is a good price point. If you ask me, and of course I'm biased, I work for Spark Sport. <laughs> but obviously other companies have to then look at what their costs are and what they're charging the market and adjust accordingly, which you know Sky TV had done up until this point. So you know, I, I think this argument is, is just a little simplistic. That oh, It's just going to cost me more and more money because I want to have this service, this service, this service, and this service. Ultimately, the, the whole point of this is that you'll end up paying less than you used to yep. for something that only gave you a fraction of what you wanted. And hopefully that's how this economy works. But no one's really certain at this stage, and no one's really certain about whether we will, again, have dominant players who bundle all the content together and go straight back to charging that subscription model. So there's no real certainty in all this, but what there is is opportunity. And taking those opportunities and understanding value is what this is all about and understanding where you're not getting value, more importantly, as a consumer and saying to yourself, do I need to be paying that much a month or should I pay this much a month? Mm -hmm. And that's all it comes down to, Pat, basic economics and someone actually offering something that meets the current market. Um, You know, as I said, you know, Spark Water is being delivered to New Zealanders now for free. Um, we felt obliged to do that considering a whole lot of people are finding themselves uh, without income or with vastly reduced incomes. And, and we were in a position to be able to offer that as something for people to do. And hopefully they take that on board. I was actually unaware of that. And I've got um, I've got the Spark Sport app on my TV because I purchased the Rugby World Cup through it. So I was not aware that there was free Spark Sport. So I'm going to uh, definitely check that out. I think the uh, talk, talking before about the education of the uh, of the audience. I think there's probably also an education of the um, providers as well. So an example is Disney Plus came along. I've got three kids who are double figures, but all at school, um, and twelve months with a hundred bucks, and I went done, boom, paid for. Hundred bucks seemed incredibly good value for that. Obviously, uh, Disney Plus is a bit different because it's mostly products they've already produced, so there's not necessarily a, a you know an ongoing cost of making new items. Uh, which mm-hmm. is very different from live sport, um, but I think that no matter who the provider, that's the that's the thing that, that the provider finds the price point in the marketplace that's easy for the consumer, and the consumer realizes they've got to pay for it. I'm reminded of Louis C.K. Louis C.K. was whose name you're not supposed to mention now because of all sorts of terrible <laughs> things he did, but Louis C.K. was tired of his um, you know his his content being pirated and put up on websites for free and stuff, and so he decided to do a stand up. Uh, DVD, produce it himself and sell it himself. And he charged five bucks straight from his website for his latest stand-up DVD. Uh, you know, wasn't a DVD, but digital download. So this might have been 10 mm. years ago. And what he realized is that it was cheap enough that people weren't bothered stealing it. 
You know, he was like, I'm, uh, I, it's only five bucks, I'll pay for it. And on the first day he released, uh, released it, he, he sold a million bucks worth. Um, mm-hmm. So he found the price point that worked for that product, for his consumers. And I think there's, so, so there's two parts of this that they need to be worked out, both the supply of it and also the consumption of it, I reckon. Yeah, look, I, and I agree, mate. And, you know, you've also got to factor in, you know, the broadcast rights market. I mean, we're, we're dealing with uh, rights vendors at the moment, the, the sports bodies that, you know, uh, are wanting bigger and bigger payments for their sport, mm-hmm. um, you know, in the hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars in some cases. So, um, you know, you've got to find that money somewhere. Yeah. And you've got to get a return on that investment. So, you know, if you are spending 400 million reportedly on rugby, and I think that figure is probably north of that, to be quite honest, uh, you want to get a return off that. And, you know, you're not only spending that on buying the rights to a sport, then on top of that, you've got to produce that sport. Yeah, right. You've got to go out there and actively make those games, make that content. And as I mentioned at the start, you know, the, the production costs of sport are extraordinary because uh, we have added tech, we've added uh, graphics, we've added all sorts of new layers to the coverage. Mm-hmm. And so it becomes a, a really costly exercise. And, and what you're going to see is that, uh, you know, as, as I said, I, I don't think you're going to see a step backwards in terms of what we're doing, but some sports are, are not going to have the full noise production mm. at the end of this. Uh, some sports, your, your major sports, will still benefit from that, but, you know, other sports will have to look at ways to give good coverage with less resource. And, uh, you know, I, you wish it weren't so, but that's going to be the reality. And, and in fact, a, a lot of these sports are doing that. You know, Rowing New Zealand has done Marty Cup coverage pretty sure for the last four or five years you know a broadcastable Marty Cup uh, which is the biggest schools event in the southern hemisphere the mm-hmm. national secondary schools rowing championships uh, you know and they've done a great job on that uh, you know is it high definition uh, really uh, with, uh, set with super slow-mos no it's not but in terms of anyone who's interested in watching some rowing they've done a hell of a job in making sure that that's available to their people in their community so you know, sports have been doing this for, for a long time, but I think there will be some added impetus now for sports to find ways to go out there and produce content. Broadcasters are still going to want that content, and quite yep. frankly, I think broadcasters, if they have it on their platform, should still be paying for that content, um, not just saying, hey, we'll air it for free, um, because that's all part of supporting New Zealand sport as well, going out there and actually you know, coming up with a fair deal for content. And, you know, you mentioned the Louis C.K. DVD. Yeah, $5 probably should have been the price for DVDs and CDs over those years. But, uh, you know, you put a whole lot of middle people involved and a CD yeah. was $30. Yeah. Um, you know, we've, we've lived through these times, haven't we? And the margins were quite extraordinary. And not much of that went back to the artist in the first place. So it's finding a ways to give the creators a, a enough money to make sure that they can earn a living. It's finding the broadcast product that people want to watch. And it's going out to consumers and saying, we're going to give it to you at this price point because we all wash our face here and you get an experience that you're prepared to pay for without the need to try and steal something for free. And if people aren't aware of what you're talking about to do with uh, the amount uh, of effort and technology that's put into a, a broadcast, and I, and I say this um, uh, gently because I'm not, I'm, not, I'm, I'm not mocking or being deriding of TVNZ, uh, but when you saw TVNZ put on, there was a charity cricket game in the last, you know, few months, the rugby versus cricket or something like that. And you, and, but then you compare that to what um, Sky Sport was doing. Just purely the graphics is all I'm talking about. Obviously, it's a charity thing. And, um, but just look at the graphics and nothing more. And, you, and, and that's when you kind of go, ah, oh, 
So, so that's where the money goes, and you can just see the difference with the uh, you know amount of invention and virtual reality sure, and but, stuff that goes yeah. into that. Yeah, and and probably a fair point, you know, because you've you know you, you're doing something that that another company is geared up to do week in week out. So, in terms of doing a one-off event, um, and you know, I was part of that production, so I understand yeah. that you know not everything was going to be at a level that that probably people have become accustomed to in a, in a typical international uh, cricket match, which it certainly wasn't. But I would say this, dear Pat, a million people watched. Yeah, no, no, no that's and, what I'm saying. I'm not, deri- um, I'm not deriding and, of it at all. I watched it no, as well. No, 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 but and, and, that's the, and, and I guess that's the difference. You sort of say to yourself, well, you know, the number of eyeballs who enjoyed that game, um, you know, sort of more than made up for the fact that, yeah, as a, as a sort of one-off production, it didn't have the same capability in mm. place as perhaps a, a Sky Sport would have brought to their international product, which of course is spec through the roof because that's going around the world. Yeah. Um, now, uh, you know, that, that was done with a, a far smaller crew as well than you would expect in a, in a typical cricket broadcast, um, but you still get that entertainment value. So, um, you, you know, you bring up an interesting point too about what sports really, really want here. Um, you know, are the bells and whistles the most important thing or is the size of your audience the most important thing? And I think one of the concerns for a lot of sports over recent years has been falling viewerships. And uh, that's a problem because when that is your shop window as a sport and you're trying to get your message out to as many people as possible with your superstar athletes, you do not want to see that particular metric tracking south. Sure. You want it to always be going up or at least, at the very least, staying stable. And uh, sports can't say that at the moment. I've seen the, the figures for rugby. You know, there has been drop-off in viewership uh, over the last... Uh, 10 years over the last five years so it's about sports bodies reinventing what their products are it's about sports bodies thinking about their end consumer um, and I hate talking about consumers but that's that's what we are they're fans really yeah um, you know we, we see the in-ground experience um, could be vastly improved in this country we see that uh, ground attendances are down um, so what do people actually want what do they want from a sport um, what are we offering them and, and what is their limit? What is their basic uh, minimum expectation on what the quality of that event should look like before they are prepared to pay? Uh, I don't think we should operate in a, in a world of minimums, but you have to be aware of what the market will sustain and what mm. the market requires. And so we are in a process now. And, you know, it's great to be, you know, working alongside Spark and, and certainly with New Zealand Cricket um, in the future about what cricket is going to look like, what property is going to be available, and what our what our fans want, what the viewers want from a game of cricket. How much cricket do they want? When do they want it? Well, how do they want it served? How do they want to consume it? And now all of those questions uh, are fantastic creatively because you can start to research people, you can start to talk to your fans again, you can start to bring the fans on that journey with you. And I think sometimes we've lost sight of who our fans are and what they actually want from the experience. Yeah. I think um, for me, I think it always comes down to the content I'm seeing or hearing. Like, like I would much rather watch the final of the of the Cricket World Cup with the two best teams in the world with the graphics that TVNZ had for that one off, than the under 13s Pakuranga playing Howick, you know, with the best graphics in the world. I, I'm I'm tongue in cheek, slightly, but yeah, you know, like, no, no, because we're talking about aesthetics there, and aesthetics are important in a televisual world. Don't get me wrong, um, but. You know, I, I think the, the bigger issue here is around, you know, how do you slice and dice the pie? Mm-hmm. So how do you say, look, this is the product for you. You're a cricket fan. How much cricket do you want? What are you paying for it? And where do you want to consume it? Do you want to watch it on the go? Do you want to watch it on your phone? Do you want to watch it on your laptop? 
Do you want to watch it at home? Are you at the beach? Do you need to be tied to a set top box? Is basically what we're saying. Yeah. And what we have discovered is that people don't. People don't want to be tied to their living room when they consume sport. They are out and about. We are more mobile than ever before. So let's create products and services that actually get the sport out to people where they are and when they want it. I think the... Um uh, the, the content that we're putting out, be it a live sports show, be it an article on a, uh, a website, be it a television program, be it a you know radio show, be it a podcast, I think one of the trends that's happening in society at the moment is looking for uh, what people enjoy the, the, for their personal quality of the content. Now, I think that's why you're seeing overseas, maybe not so in New Zealand, but things like Joe Rogan being one of the biggest, most influential media sources in America doing a, a podcast with equipment that he's purchased himself and, and something like that. because I think people are more concerned with that uh, more drawn to the quality of the content coming out more drawn to what they enjoy what they call quality what they're finding and locating than even though it's not bad production values but it's certainly not the same production values as a CNN studio so to speak um, and I, I wonder if yeah, but, but, if but, that, but no, you're right but, but the content is king Pat. you know look I can have a book you know, I could write a book printed on gold paper, mate, but it'd still be a shit book. Yeah. You know, it's got to be about the content. And, and one of the strengths of Joe Rogan is he's not tied to anyone. Yeah, yeah. Joe Rogan is Joe Rogan. Joe Rogan doesn't ever deal with this sports body, so he can't criticize them. He doesn't ever deal with that organization, so he can't criticize them. He has free reign to do what he wants to do, to get the guests he wants to have on and to tell people his thoughts. Now, I'm not saying Joe Rogan's right about everything, <laughs> but he's got the freedom to actually have some critical discussion around sport. And, you know, I think the critical discussion around sport needs to come back and it needs to be magnified and it needs to be uh, you know, certainly uh, put front and centre again. You know, having in-depth discussions about sport is what sports fans, I think, still thrive on. Yeah. That is why you sit around with uh, your mates, uh, whether they're your, your women mates or your men mates or your kids, and you have arguments about who should be in this team, who should be doing that, was the referee right, was that delivery legal, was that LBW, you know, is this the right way for rugby to go, is that the right move for netball? All of those arguments need to be had in a really open and transparent way. We're all invested in sport in this country, no one's opinion should be valued above all others and no one's opinion should be shot down unless it's with fact. You can't silence people about sport and then expect them to pay $100 for a ticket to watch your team play. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's just not the way this works. And I think we should embrace a more robust and vigorous critical dialogue around sport because that, as the Joe Rogan experience uh, proved, is what people thrive on. Sport is an eternal argument. It is based on tribalism. It is based on opinion. It is based on perception. So if you try to get rid of all of those things, all you've done is homogenize the experience. And an homogenized sports experience is in no one's best interest. So celebrate the robustness of arguments. Celebrate the wacky. Celebrate people who have absolute crazy points of view. Mm -hmm. And use facts and stats and all the other things that we have at our disposal to debunk the myths, but also to enhance the dialogue that we have. And, and I, you know, I love that about sport. It does bring out uh, some impassioned language and some impassioned points of view. So why silence those? Isn't that why we're all in this? Yeah, totally. To win, to lose, to watch the game, to experience the camaraderie, the tribalism and the collegiality that sport provides, and also to watch the opposition get its stuff down their throat. That's kind of it. It's conflict. 
It's organized conflict. That's what team sport uh, is, certainly is. And when you look at other sports and Olympic sports, it's all about who is the best, the furthest, the farthest, the highest, etc., etc., etc. We want those moments. We want to encourage that debate and that interest level. Because if there's no interest level, there's no discussion. If there's no discussion, you've got nothing. Um, it's approaching quarter two. Have you got time for two very more quick questions? I'll roll them into one. Sure so my last two questions, I'll give them to you at the same time so you can just answer them and then you can head off because part two of the question is about what you're up to. Uh, the first one is, what does your gut tell you um, when we get to the end of this, you've already said that we've found out that sport kind of is a um, an add-on to society. It's not an essential to society, but it's something we all enjoy. When we get to the end of this, do you think that people will have learned that lesson and they'll stay away from sport? Or do you think that people will flood back to sport because they've missed it so much? And the second question is just really, what are you up to on a day-to-day -day basis during this lockdown? Yeah, no, well, I, I, don't, I haven't claimed that sports not essential. No, no, no. Uh, I, I, I paraphrased badly what you said. <laughs> what, I, what I'm saying is that, that people have probably greater worries on their mind at the moment. Mm. But yeah, it depends on what you think of sport. And there's two, there's two ways to look at that. Um, yeah, is going out for a round of golf essential? No, it's a lot of fun. Um, is playing the Masters essential? No, but there's an awful lot of people whose jobs rely on that. Yeah. So, um, you know, let, let's make the distinction between recreational sport and professional sport. Mm -hmm. um, the professional sport is a big beast and it employs a lot of people, not just the, the athletes with the uh, eye-watering uh, paychecks, by the way, but a lot of people who, you know, and as I've covered off already, and especially in our freelance production market, and the vast, vast majority of people who produce live sport in this country are freelancers. Um, you know, the, their jobs depend on this. So it's certainly essential to them. Um, but when this is all over, Pat, um, I think people will genuinely embrace the experience of watching sport again. Right. Quite how they will do that, I think, will change. Uh, I think, you know, as I've already covered off, we're going to see the rise of streaming services across sports globally. Um, you know, I, I work for one in New Zealand, obviously with Spark Sport. Um, we're going to see people, I think, uh, enjoying watching the contest again. Uh, I, I think where there's going to be some changes, you know, crowds, uh, you know, our behaviours are being changed, aren't they, on a daily basis about uh, being around large numbers of people. That is going to be an ongoing challenge uh, for Stadia across New Zealand and around the world. Um, so it's about finding the product and then bringing the people back to it. But this has to be a time where we pause and reflect on what the business of sport looks like and how we are best to serve our fans and our people and the people who work within sport uh, in the coming months. Because it could still be uh, you know, a few more months yet before we are really back on track. And in fact, in some cases, it could be another year away. So mm -hmm. we, we do have to think about that. As for me day to day, mate, uh, look, uh, you know, I'm really fortunate to to have roles with, with both Spark and TVNZ so uh, I'm in the newsroom uh, with TVNZ and, and you know when you're a sports journalist you, you do have to transition a little bit at this time because I, I'm fascinated about the business of sport and uh, you know that's where most of the stories are right now what sports are under threat how are they changing and in fact similar ways to the conversation we just had what is the future going to look like mm. so uh, you know, we're working on, on a number of stories around that at the moment and, and just trying to keep tabs on where everyone's at. First and foremost, we care. Uh, we're sports journalists. We work in this space, um, you know, and we're, and we're lucky that we're, we're still employed in it because, you know, some of our, our dear friends um, have been made redundant in recent weeks as, yeah. as other organisations have made cuts. So, uh, you know, working on that, mate, and, and looking forward to the cricket season and, and hoping... <laughs> 
um, with both fingers and toes crossed that, you know, by the time summer rolls around, we're going to be in a great position to welcome cricket back. And, and you know, and with Spark taking over cricket um, as of uh, April 1st, you know, we're looking forward to the, our first home productions using some of those great people that we've talked about already uh, and getting them back uh, working on their cameras and their mixing desks and the broadcast trucks of uh, sport in New Zealand. And, that, and that's something really to look forward to and to be hopeful about. And if this, uh, if this is still going on all over the world, this COVID-19 crisis, you know, maybe a couple of seasons of amazing homegrown sport as well. The Inter-New Zealand Championships because we're a little oasis to the COVID world. Mate, if you, if you want my opinion on that, uh, I think yeah, all sports at the moment could do well to look at their grassroots and think about how they want to regrow sport from, you know, from the kids and the clubs back up again. Uh, and maybe this is a time where, where amateur sport, uh, again, uh, takes a little bit more of a slice of the pie in terms of the care uh, and, the, and the pastoral care that it's given by administrators around the country. Brilliant. Hey, Scotty Stevenson, thanks so much for giving us some time today. I know you're kind of technically at work right now as well, so we really appreciate it. And, um, yeah, we all, me being a huge sports fan, uh, the question that I asked of you, my answer to it for myself is I can't wait to uh, re-embrace sport when it comes back to whatever it looks like post this COVID-19 world. Oh, Pat, no, pleasure to talk to you, mate. It's been a long time coming, and, um, yeah, I'm with you, mate. We just, you know, we want want it back, and, um, you know, we can't wait for sports to return. But in the meantime... You know what we think of most is is all those people who are who are doing it tough out there and um, for whom the recovery is going to be much longer than you know a couple of guys throwing a ball around or uh, someone hitting the ball with a bat. So you know here's here's hoping first and foremost that we as a country get through this together and and in a way that um, you know we can all be better off at the end of it. Alrighty, team. There you go. Today's episode is brought to you in part by our Patreon. Uh, If you are someone who would like to consider supporting what we do to help us make this product, then there are some options where you can do that at patreon.com forward slash the D-O-C-N-Z. Now, look, we're aware that money's tight for everyone, but maybe if you've just heard this by chance, just heard this episode talking about how we pay for things in the future, maybe you'd consider being a partner to what we're doing here. Uh, First and foremost, and most importantly, we just want our people to enjoy our content. But if you're someone who thinks, well, I'd like to get behind this and help these guys continue to do what they're doing. Maybe you'll consider being a Patreon and a patron for us. Head to uh, patreon.com forward slash the D-O-C-N-Z and you'll see all the details there as to how you can support us if you would like to. Now, coming up in the uh, next week, well, we've got a lot of podcasts on, obviously, because we're all stuck at home. There are people who have got time for us. Uh, There are many more than the examples I'm about to give you that are going to happen in the next week or so. But what we have got booked in is coming up. We've got uh, Tereda coming up on Wednesday, Mike McRoberts on a Thursday. We've got David Slack on Saturday as well. All of those details as to what time they're going to be on, if you'd like to watch the live stream, stream is at uh, facebook.com forward slash DEPT of conversation. Uh, facebook.com forward slash DEPT of conversation. Head there and you'll see uh, we've pinned to the top of the page all the guests that are coming up and you know, when they're going to be live streamed. But of course, as you're listening to this, you probably got us on iTunes. If you did find us on iTunes, a rate and a review would be really appreciated. Uh, other than that, head to the Facebook page, head to the website, www.thedoc.nz. And just once again, um, humbly, I'll remind you of our Patreon, which is patreon.com 
forward slash the D-O-C-N-Z. All letters, the D-O-C-N-Z. And if you consider that, we'd, lo- we'd love you anyway. We do. We love you anyway. Maybe we just love you 1% more. No, nah, probably not. But we love you anyway. And maybe you want to help us continue to do this lovely thing. All right, team. Uh, until we see you next time, uh, stay safe, wash your hands, hug a loved one, watch something on telly that makes you laugh. Uh, and uh, we look forward to sport coming back. Boop, boop.